for who you are and what it is that you've done for us. God, I pray that you would just guide us tonight and help us to, to know more about you and be more amazed by you as we are here to talk about you, God. And we're so thrilled about that. And I pray that you just create a hunger in us to want to know more and more about you and to give you glory for everything that you are, for who you are, and what you've done for us. We're so thankful for the blood of Christ that came so that we could be made righteous before a holy God. It's the greatest gift that's ever been given on this planet, God. And I pray that we just continue to grow in all that you've called us to be, all that you've called us to do. Bless this church, God. Bless each member of this church. Um, help us to be um, your people and um, to always follow what it is that you've gifted us to do and to glorify you in every action and every thought and every deed. In every word, God, help us to glorify you. Keep us from error. Keep me from teaching error, God. Anything about you that's false, I pray that you would um, would, would just correct me. And um, and help us, God, to, to only believe about you what is true. We love you. We thank you so much for everything. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, guys. So we always like to start out talking about the gospel. And... Every once in a while, I like to open it up and ask you guys to talk about the gospel, because it's good. It's a good exercise for us to really get it down and to to know how to communicate that well to other people. So, does anybody want to to start us out and just share with us what the gospel is to get us going? Not everybody wants. <laughs> coming down to earth, taking on a body of flesh, dying on the cross for our sins, paying the price for our sins. He was in the grave three days and three nights. He was resurrected. And he appeared unto many, and then he ascended to heaven. He sits on the right hand of God. That is true. That is true. And why did he do that? That's right. We're not perfect, that he is perfect. That's right. And he had to take on a body of flesh and blood because his his the death needed to take place. The blood needed to be shed for sins. I see two things in that. Is the proof to us that he he wasn't just going through the motions, didn't mean anything, but he actually was willing to give his life for us. And so his blood being shed is, is definitely an indication that he really was, that part of him was a man. He's totally God, totally man. But he did die. And yeah. he is the first to, to rise to and go to heaven. Absolutely. And it's a promise for us and what will be our, our blessing when we die. Yeah, it gives us we hope believe. and joy, doesn't it? Yes. Absolutely. Anything else? Anything else that you guys want to add about the gospel? I was thinking of Romans 3.23 and 6.23. 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all in trouble. 
And then 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. So all of sin, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just in a nutshell. Amen. That is definitely a good a good summary. And we we see in what you just read a couple of different things. One, we see uh, the reason why we exist, right? It's talking about falling short of the glory of God. Well, we exist to glorify God. That's what that's telling us, right? And we can fall short of that. And when we fall short of that, then we're not Christians. That's what the world is, right? The world is has fallen short of the glory of God. And the only way that we can be saved is through Jesus Christ. That's it. There's no other way. That's a critical part of the gospel is understanding we can't earn it. There's nothing we can do. We can't be impressive to God. We can't work our way to heaven. You know, I, Nikki was listening to me. <laughs> Sometimes we like to listen to bad preaching. Well, that's not right. Yeah. And she was listening to one on the way here, and we were both just all, I mean, we were, we were very frustrated because <laughs> the whole message was all about um, doing things to, to try to be pleasing. It was law, 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 law. You know, that's what the whole message was about. There was no gospel in it at all. That Jesus Christ has already done it's already done. It's paid. It's finished. Right? We are saved because of the work of Christ. Not because of our own work. We can't do it. But it has to be the blood of Jesus Christ. He did it for us. He became a man. Truly God. Truly man. Walked on this earth. Perfect. The second Adam. He did. He accomplished what the first Adam failed at doing. And anybody who believes in him and calls upon his name will be saved. And that's the, that's, the, that's the amazing part of the gospel. It has to be Jesus Christ. That's it. There's no other way to be saved. And it's only faith in Him. It's faith in Christ alone. Right? That's what saves us. There's no... Uh, we was listening to one, uh, I think, yesterday that was bad. And, he, and this guy said that the way that you're saved is by <laughs> repentance. And I go, No. It's not repentance alone. <laughs> it's faith alone. Repentance is something that happens after we become a Christian because we don't know we're sinners until God re reveals that to us through the gospel message, right? Repentance is simply something that happens. That's a response. Like, God, I deserve your wrath. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. And you beg for him to, to forgive you. That that's not something that we do to be saved. That's something we do because we are saved. God saved us, and that's quick. We can't we you know we can't say well you know we're saved and it was a, day, a week later I repented. It's instant, right? You're saved and you start repenting because for the first time in your life you realize I am a sinner, and I deserve everything that Jesus Christ took for me, right? So it's a, that's a response. Repentance is a response. That's not the way we're saved, though. That would make repentance what? A work. A work. It would be a work. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, those are good points. Anything else? I like the fact that there, there's no special words to be said. God is looking at the heart. Thief on the cross. What did he say? I mean, somebody would look at that and say, well, why did he think he repented? Why did he think he you know, accepted him? Because the words just don't follow the pattern that they teach nowadays. 
Right. There is no set pattern. That you, you don't need baptism. You pray this prayer. Yeah. Which becomes a work. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. You don't need baptism to be saved. There's there's nothing. That's right. Other than just believing. That's right. However, it's spoken from the heart. That's right. That's right. That's good. That's good. Well, we always want to start the study out talking about the gospel because that's why we're here. And we're here to learn about the one who saved us, the one who died for us. We're here to learn about who he is because we love him. And we know that he loves us ultimately. We know that, the, the, that his children, his family, he loved enough to die for us. I mean, the greatest sacrifice that we could think of. And... Um, one of the responses of being a Christian is to want to know Him and to want to love Him in a greater way. And so that's what we're doing. And so we've been talking about the aseity of God. And this is a huge and deep topic. And so we've been getting into how the God, He never had a beginning. And He has nothing that sustains Him. That He is, as Plato said, true being and not a becoming. He, he is something that has always existed. A becoming, as Plato says, is somebody who has uh, to be sustained by air, by water, by food. There's so many things that have to sustain us in order to give us life. Everything has to be perfect, right? But for God, he relies on nothing because he's self-existent, right? He is the true becoming, or the true being. And so we, we, that's talking about the aseity of God. He had no beginning. He never, he wasn't created. He didn't create himself. <laughs> there wasn't another God that created this God, right? So God has always existed. It's something that blows our mind, and it's, it's almost beyond, it really is beyond what we can really understand. And so that's what we started out talking about last week. And as we began to go through our study, we got on page 92, we ran into the divine proofs. And this, these divine proofs, um, I'll just read the first point here. Divine proofs were developed by Anselm and Thomas Aquinas in the Middle Ages. There are some inadequacy, inadequacies for using natural proofs for the existence of God, but these are interesting to go over. And they really are interesting to go over. And some of these videos that I've got, I'm, we're gonna, I'm gonna play too, just to kind of, I thought that these were kind of cute, you know, little videos, uh, little five-minute videos that I found whenever I was doing some research today on this and uh, trying to get ready for this class. But what we'll see here in these divine proofs is, first we see the cosmological argument. And so if you start looking through these, with this, the cosmological argument, what we're dealing with is the cosmos, right? And then we get to the tele teleological argument, and this is dealing with nature, dealing with nature. So cosmos, nature, and then we get over to the moral argument, which is dealing with the conscience, and then we get to the ontological argument, which deals with reason. So what, what these guys did is they pretty much hit us with all these different ways that we can prove the existence of God pretty much in every aspect of life, right? And in our entire world, in our minds, in everything, in the cosmos. And so it's pretty interesting to go over and, uh, and to begin to, to, to ponder on, because I think that these things can be helpful for us. And so I got a question that says, what are divine proofs? 
And of course, I think that's a rhetorical question because we know what the, the divine proofs are. That's just the process of using natural observation or reason to prove the existence of God, right? And so the first one that we hit is the cosmological argument. And this cosmological argument is dealing with the cosmos. It's dealing with the cosmos. So the first point says this has to do with universal cause causation. First cause or metaphysical motion. And you know what the word meta metaphysical means, right? Does anybody know what that word metaphysical means? Something beyond the physical world, right? That's the metaphysics, metaphysical. So something that's beyond this, the physical world that's set in motion. So I've got a question. It says the creation is an effect which must have a what? Cause. A cause. A, an effect has to have a cause, right? An effect has to have a cause. So the first point says there cannot be an infinite number of causes that go back in time forever. There must be a first cause. And so these are what I've got here that we're going to go over are these divine proofs that Anselm and Thomas Aquinas came up with. And so you can... Um, this isn't the absolute gospel. This is just some things that, that, that they came up with for us to think about. And so you can agree with them or disagree with them, um, but they're interesting for us to look at. The first thing it says is, it is a fact that things exist. And that's easy for us to understand. It's a fact that things exist. We can look around. We know we exist. Now, there's some people out there that say, well, maybe this nothing does exist maybe this is just an illusion you know and they get into the matrix. yeah in the <laughs> matrix and that kind of thing uh, and that's going beyond um, yeah. any kind of reasoning whatsoever so and there's it, it's just silly when people act like that and the, <laughs> yeah. number two says is it possible for things to not exist technically I mean we can imagine things nothing could exist so it's possible that nothing could exist but if nothing could exist then we wouldn't know it right because we wouldn't exist so <laughs> i think it, i think in terms of in its present form but existence is from god so i mean we would have to get rid of god altogether in yeah. order for there to be nothing in existence that's right that's right which goes back to what we talked about two weeks ago when we had class if in the beginning there was nothing what could there be today? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. That's right. That's right. So number three says, whatever has the possibility of non-existence yet exists has been caused to exist by something or someone. So remember, we're dealing with um, trying to prove the existence of God. So we're talking to people who are atheists. We're talking to people who believe and know God. And that's what the, these divine proofs were for. So these are just apologetics for us, right? But these are dealing with, with people. And so you begin to reason with, with someone and you say, well, you know, if something has um, a possibility of non-existence, but yet it exists, uh, then there has to be some kind of cause out there. There has to be something that created it or someone. And of course, we as Christians say it wasn't something. It wasn't just this idea of logos that we talked about before. But where John says, 
Logos is God, <laughs> right? And so we know that this is a, a person, that a person is what caused all these things. Because something cannot bring itself into existence because it has to exist first in order to do so, right? So that's an impossibility. Number four says there cannot be an infinite number of causes to bring something into existence. So an infinite regression of causes ultimately, ultimately would have no initial cause, which means that there would be no cause of existence. So there would be no reason that anything could exist, right? So you can't just keep regressing back, and that's what they're saying, because you eventually run out of regressions, and, you, and then you get to that point where there's nothing. And what he's trying to say here is, that's impossible. That's impossible. You can't just keep regressing back. You know, this God made that God, and that God made this God, or this thing made that thing, and this thing made this thing, and you just regress back and back and back. Eventually, you're going to get to nothing. You can't just infinitely go back, right? And so that's what he's saying. And so the universe exists, therefore it must have a cause. The universe exists... Therefore, it must have a cause. And this is his argument. So, number five there that says that there must be an uncaused cause of all things. There must be an uncaused cause. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago how that that uncaused cause is God. Right? God is the uncaused cause. And that's not a contradiction. Now, we talked about that last week. Number six says the uncaused cause must be God. So if there isn't an uncaused cause, you cannot scientifically explain anything. Right? Because science is based on, on cause and effect, right? So if there isn't, if there isn't an uncaused cause, you cannot, it's impossible to scientifically explain anything at all. Science is gone. You can't, that's a, that's a part of science, right? cause and effect. So all of these things that these guys are using here, it, what they're doing is they're looking at the cosmos. They're looking at at the um, the existence of the universe in order to try to prove that there is a God. And that so that's exactly what that they're trying to push us toward here. So is there in in explaining this does anything stand out in your minds? Does it, or any questions on that? Because I know this is kind of a, a kind of a difficult concept to to comprehend, but I have a cool little video we're going to watch here in a second that, that may help too. So, well, I think that the more that we discover about the universe and the more we see pictures and everything, things are are much more unique and much more unexplainable for man, and um, which. To me, it, it really explains that, that God made it, and it's still doing what God wants it to do. We are, being re we are re having his revelation of it over time. When you look at, you know, when, when he made the stars and man didn't have a lot of way to know what was out there, it was yeah. still there. Yeah. And so over time, he has allowed us to see more and more of it, but it's still going on, and it's and it is it's in such order. Yes, that's the thing to me that is so amazing. That is, like they can predict this is what's going to happen when this is when you're going to have the solar eclipse. This is when you're going to have this and that. 
I mean, it's just to me amazing that all of that is predictable. It really is. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And that, that gets into the theological argument that we're going to talk about next. So, yeah. No, that's... You brought your own self effects. <laughs> you, you say something incredible. Kind of <laughs> yeah, and number six, I just keep on, keeps on coming back in this section. I am that I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there, there's real meaning when you say those words, when you think of this, these things. There is. Yeah. There is. Yeah, who are you? I am that I am. And the, the sad thing to me about this is the people that study this don't get it. Yeah. I mean, Carl Sagan, mm-hmm. he did not. Be- he was not a believer. Mm-hmm. Like, how can you study this and not believe? I don't. I don't get that. Sorry. Well, you worship. Yeah. You worship the creation. Right. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many people that do. Yeah. Yeah. And people that are reasonable, even atheists that are reasonable they they have to come to some kind of a a crossroads if they really are serious about it and that's the problem is a lot of them fall short of that or they try to just convince themselves of something and then they get into all kinds of crazy things you know talking about how aliens may have planted life on the planet i met somebody like that yeah and then you go, well, where did, who made the aliens? He says he's a believer, but he travels all over the world to see evidence of aliens. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They, they come up with all kinds of things yeah. that are way beyond an uncaused cause. An uncaused cause is something that's logical, and it's something that anybody can understand. And it's something that we have evidence for. And that's what the, this is trying to talk about with, these, uh, co- with the cosmological argument, that we have evidence of this in the cosmos. We have evidence that God exists. So this is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, people are not going to be able to understand these things or let go of these things until they're willing to admit that there is a God and there is a need for God. Because it's yeah. what's revealed by the Holy Spirit. And if they blocked the Holy Spirit totally, they're in blindness. They're never going to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. The longer they let it go, the harder their heart's going to be against the truth. Yeah. So I've got a question that says, what are the strengths and what are the weaknesses of this argument? If If you think there are any strengths or any weaknesses, do you guys see strengths or arguments for this, or the cosmological argument? <coughs> I think a strength is, is a lot of it is visible. Exactly. Um, and there's a lot of people that cannot believe in anything that's not visible. But this is a visible representation of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Romans 1 comes to mind, right? Romans 1. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I personally don't see any weaknesses. In the, you see a weakness? Well, if, if I were playing devil's advocate, I might say, okay, God exists, therefore, he had a cause. You know, but then that by... So caused him to exist? Yeah. No. But then that, that goes back and kind of violates number four. Yeah. But, I mean, I could see, if you wanted to be argumentative about it, you could say, well, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, God created everything. Well, who created God? Well, God created himself. <laughs> no. Right, right. Yeah, he did not. He's always existed. Yeah, that would be a contradiction. 
Yeah, exactly. No, you're you're right. In, any argument that you throw against it is going to be an illogical argument. It's going to be something that you can logically ref refute. I think. Uh, I don't see any way that you can argue logically against this. You can come up with some weird off the wall things, and that's what so many people try to do: is come up with weird off the wall, off the wall things. Um, let's watch this video. A possible oh, weakness too, though, is there are imperfections in this and people would think well if God actually did this then it would be perfect mm. yeah and it okay. was it was <laughs> it was see, that's the thing yeah and some people don't understand why it's not still that way mm -hmm. because God created it that way yeah so that's a really yeah. hard thing for people to understand it is so it and is their, their assumption might be well he would have made it in such a way that it couldn't be broken or damaged. Right, like the earth is now and all that yeah. stuff mm -hmm. that went on now. Yeah. Yeah. But that means that they would have to go into the whole <laughs> theological, right. you know, study. They have to know <laughs> why is it like it is. Well, sin caused it. Exactly. And, you know, okay, but why did God allow sin to be? Right. Why did he create us and not make sure that there was no sin? Yeah. And people have to understand that we have choice. <laughs> but God did provide yeah. a way of escape. And that's what this is designed to do, right? Right. It's designed to take somebody there. Because we can never, nobody, no one is ever going to become a Christian just through apologetics. Apologetics is not something that will save you. But apologetics can be used to do exactly what you're saying. Hopefully it brings up some questions. Well, why is that? Why is everything broken then? Hey, there's a door, right? There's a door. Now I can talk about the gospel. I can tell you why everything's broken. So yeah, that's that's a perfect opportunity for that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what this is designed for. People will say, I don't want sin to be possible, but I want my right to choose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have to be held accountable for it. <laughs> there's always that. Yeah. Yeah, there's always that. Yeah. Yeah, this is interesting. I'll play this video real quick. It's a little short little video. And this goes along with the cosmological argument. And we'll see. Uh, this is not my favorite one. There's a couple more that, that are pretty cool. But uh, by the way, I just found these today. It's not something that I did a lot of research. And the, whoever the ministries are that are doing these, I don't know anything about. So I'm not supporting these ministries. These are just cute little videos I found. Okay, just to let you know. Uh, so if you start finding, Googling this and you go, oh, wow, this ministry's heretical. Heretical. <laughs> um, that's the disclaimer here. Okay, that's, okay. that's the we'll disclaimer. Call Brandon, not you. Yeah, yeah. Send Brandon the email. Like that. Does God exist? Or is the material universe all that is, or ever was, or ever will be? One approach to answering this question is the cosmological argument. It goes like this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Is the first premise true? Let's consider. Believing that something can pop into existence without a cause is more of a stretch than believing in magic. 
At least with magic, you've got a hat and a magician. And if something can come into being from nothing, then why don't we see this happening all the time? No, everyday experience and scientific evidence confirm our first premise. If something begins to exist, it must have a cause. But what about our second premise? Did the universe begin? Or has it always existed? Atheists have typically said that the universe has been here forever. The universe is just there, and that's all. First, let's consider the second law of thermodynamics. It tells us the universe is slowly running out of usable energy. And that's the point. If the universe had been here forever, it would have run out of usable energy by now. The second law points us to a universe that has a definite beginning. This is further confirmed by a series of remarkable scientific discoveries. In 1915, Albert Einstein presented his general theory of relativity. This allowed us, for the first time, to talk meaningfully about the past history of the universe. Next, Alexander Friedman and George Lemaitre, each working with Einstein's equations, predicted that the universe is expanding. Then in 1929, Edwin Hubble measured the red shift and light from distant galaxies. This empirical evidence confirmed not only that the universe is expanding, but that it sprang into being from a single point in the finite past. It was a monumental discovery, almost beyond comprehension. However, not everyone is fond of a finite universe, so it wasn't long before alternative models popped into existence. But one by one, these models failed to stand the test of time. More recently, three leading cosmologists, Arvind Bord, Alan Guth, and Alexander Vilenkin, prove that any universe which has on average been expanding throughout its history cannot be eternal in the past, but must have an absolute beginning. This even applies to the multiverse, if there is such a thing. This means that scientists can no longer hide behind a past eternal universe. There is no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. Any adequate model must have a beginning, just like the standard model. It's quite plausible then that both premises of the argument are true. This means that the conclusion is also true. The universe has a cause. And since the universe can't cause itself, its cause must be beyond the space-time universe. It must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, uncaused, and unimaginably powerful. Much like God. The cosmological argument shows that, in fact, it is quite reasonable to believe that God does exist. Yeah, what'd you think about that? Cody, you're up. You gotta find find the next video. <laughs> Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Cody. <laughs> okay, whoa. Flowers grew up. That's right. <laughs> The next one, Cody, is uh, the teleological argument. Just type that in there.
So anyway, any thoughts on the video or anything jump out at you? It's pretty straightforward and simple. <laughs> yeah, cute. I mean, I thought it was. I thought it was cool. I like the way they put it together. It almost makes any other alternative idea look so stupid. It does. You know I mean, a, a grade school kid could get that. Yeah, exactly. It boils it down just to layman's terms. It's just it makes yeah. it so easy to understand. Yeah. So the next one that we're going to look at is the teleological argument, and. So I've got a question that says, what does theology mean? Has anybody ever heard that term, theology? Not until we got in this class. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. That's right, so, yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, exhibiting or relating to design or purpose, especially of nature. Uh, finality is a reason or explanation for something as a function of its, and then they break it down. Uh, the T-E-L-O-S is in goal or purpose, mm -hmm. and then the logos is reason or explanation. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So it's dealing with nature, and uh, nature acting towards its end, right, rather than acting as a function of its cause. And so... Um, and, we, and, and this is kind of explained in number one. So the first point says design implies a designer. So if something has a design, which is amazing. I, I remember when I first started studying apologetics, and I remember just walking through, uh, we, we lived on 10 acres, we had a, uh, and we lived right in the middle of a forest. And I remember walking around and picking up a leaf and just being amazed at the details of a leaf and how amazing, like I was going, you know, just the design to this this leaf alone is amazing you know and it's little things like that that we just take for granted and we we don't take the time and go wow and be amazed at the creation that God has made and so with such an intricate design of a leaf I mean that's just a the most basic thing and we can look at complicated things like the human body and the universe and things like that it's just it's wow I mean it's it's beyond that's something you can study for the rest of your life and be amazed at some really really cool stuff yeah, it's, it goes beyond that like he placed that leaf for you to find on that particular day mm -hmm. yeah and the spirit enlightened yeah. you to what he was trying to teach you exactly yeah. but the, that leaf is not only intricate in, in the way that it looks but it's able to collect energy from the sun oh, yeah. and transfer that energy into the plant so that the plant can live and grow it yeah. inhales CO2 exhales oxygen yeah. which helps the whole picture yeah. of the earth I mean and everything that you talk about if you look at it long enough is one little gear in the big clock. It is. You know, and that can't be accidental. That's what I tell people is like, is it an accident that like the plants ha have the exact nutrients that human beings and animals need right. to for their bodies to function? It just so happens that they they have the exact nutrients that we need in order to exist and survive. It, that, yeah. it, that's a that's just an accident. <laughs> How could that be an accident? Oh, it's not. It's a, it's amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. Yeah. No, you're right. 
Number one says, we, we see that things that lack knowledge, such as natural bodies, trees, plants, etc., act for an end, and then parentheses, this is, I'll put this in there, this isn't from them, I put such as a flower growing towards the sunlight. So that's an amazing, this is something that um, is acting towards its end, not uh, something um, that, is action, that is a function of its cause. So that's amazing that that a flower has no brain, you know, it has no ability to think, yet something causes it to want to grow toward the sunlight. And that's what that this argument is saying. Um, and sunflowers rotate during the I day. I know, that's crazy. That's yeah. to me like God's just <laughs> showing off. It's like, what, let me make this flower, watch this. It's going to go to the sun. We could call it a sunflower. Yeah. Our flowers had just blown once. <laughs> yeah. Once. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. And it's it's just amazing how the external creation impacts our planet. It, it is. And, yeah. You know, living in Florida and being at the beach and all and understanding, really researching about tides, the whole earth is tidal, not just the water. Mm. It's so interesting. It is. <laughs> It is, it is. Number two says they achieve their end not by chance, but by design. Yeah. Now whatever lacks knowledge cannot move towards an end unless it be directed toward that end by some being endowed with knowledge and intelligence as the arrow is directed by the archer. Therefore, some intelligent being exists by whom all natural things are ordered to their end, this being we call God. So this is dealing with nature and the, and the natural universe. And I've got a quote here that is from Thomas Aquinas. And it says, We see that things which lack knowledge, such as natural bodies, act for an end, and this is evident from their acting always, or nearly always, in the same way, so as to obtain the best result. Hence, it is plain that they achieve their end, not fortunately, but design designedly. Now, whatever lacks knowledge cannot move toward an end unless it be directed by some being endowed with knowledge and intelligence, as the arrow is directed. By the archer, therefore, some intelligent being exists by whom all natural things are directed to their end, and this being we call God. And then the question is, what are the strengths and what are the weaknesses of this argument? Cody, bring me the remote. Do you guys see any strengths? Really the only explanation for the great migrations that happen all over the planet. Yeah. That God is directing all of it from the geese to the butterflies to the wild animals, you know, in Africa to the sea turtles that come to the same place every year. And I mean, it's just an amazing thing. If you ever get a chance to watch, I think there's a, a video about, quote, the Great Migration all over the world that's going on and there is no other explanation for that yeah yeah that's um that's that's amazing that's amazing 
Is yeah. Birds flying and they're guided by the magnetic fields is, is part of how know. they know where to go. Yeah. So when the magnetic fields are off, then birds end up where they don't belong. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that sometimes happens because man does something crazy. Yeah. 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 And causes them to to not act according to their nature. Yeah. The sun, the planets are yeah. set distance apart. Yeah. Rotation. I mean everything. I mean it's you know. It's amazing. I'd like to see a man try to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when you start looking at this kind of thing, it's um it's it's amazing. It's amazing how that everything is perfect in the way that it all works together. Uh, let's see if I can remember which one that this was. Yeah, unfortunately, man thinks that they can control all this too. Yeah. That's really messing things up. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Let's see. Yeah, that first one. Was, um, no, what I was looking for. Uh, well, I was hoping that Cody was going to speed this up for me. Oops. How do I back up? Oh, right. Go down to clear. Over yeah. There. And then where's the space bar at? That space bar? Go, yeah, down the oh, down the left. Yeah. Yeah, for some reason it's not showing up on here. Teleological argument. <laughs> Work with me. <laughs> It was the fine tuning of the universe. It showed up on my phone. I don't know why it didn't show up on this. It's that one right there, I think. I think it's that one. Hopefully it's that one. <clears throat> From galaxies and stars, down to atoms and subatomic particles, the very structure of our universe is determined by these numbers. These are the fundamental constants and quantities of the universe. Scientists have come to the shocking realization that each of these numbers has been carefully dialed into an astonishingly precise value, a value that falls within an exceedingly narrow, life-permitting range. If any one of these numbers were altered by even a hair's breadth, no physical, interactive life of any kind could exist anywhere. There'd be no stars, no life, no planets, 
no chemistry. Consider gravity, for example. The force of gravity is determined by the gravitational constant. If this constant varied by just one in 10 to the 60th parts, none of us would exist. To understand how exceedingly narrow this life permitting range is, imagine a dial divided into 10 to the 60th increments. To get a handle on how many tiny points on the dial this is, compare it to the number of cells in your body, or the number of seconds that have ticked by since time began. If the gravitational constant had been out of tune by just one of these infinitesimally small increments, the universe would either have expanded and thinned out so rapidly that no stars could form and life couldn't exist, or it would have collapsed back on itself with the same result. No stars, no planets, and no life. Or consider the expansion rate of the universe. This is driven by the cosmological constant. A change in its value by a mere one part in 10 to the 120th parts would cause the universe to expand too rapidly or too slowly. In either case, the universe would, again, be life-prohibiting. Or another example of fine-tuning. If the mass and energy of the early universe were not evenly distributed to an incomprehensible precision of one part in 10 to the 10 to the 123rd, the universe would be hostile to life of any kind. The fact is, our universe permits physical, interactive life only because these, and many other numbers, have been independently and exquisitely balanced on a razor's edge. Wherever physicists look, they see examples of fine-tuning. The remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. If anyone claims not to be surprised by the special features that the universe has, he's hiding his head in the sand. These special features are surprising and unlikely. What is the best explanation for this astounding phenomenon? There are three live options. The fine-tuning of the universe is due to either physical necessity, chance, or design. Which of these options is the most plausible? According to this alternative, the universe must be life-permitting. The precise values of these constants and quantities could not be otherwise. But is this plausible? Is a life-prohibiting universe impossible? Far from it. It's not only possible, it's far more likely than a life-permitting universe. The constants and quantities are not determined by the laws of nature. There's no reason or evidence suggests that fine-tuning is necessary. How about chance? Did we just get really, 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 really lucky? No. The probabilities involved are so ridiculously remote as to put the fine-tuning well beyond the reach of chance. So, in an effort to keep this option alive, some have gone beyond empirical science and opted for a more speculative approach known as the multiverse. They imagine a universe generator that cranks out such a vast number of universes that, odds are, life-permitting universes will eventually pop out. However, there's no scientific evidence for the existence of this multiverse. It cannot be detected, observed, measured, or proved. And the universe generator itself would require an enormous amount of fine-tuning. Furthermore, small patches of order are far more probable than big ones. 
So the most probable observable universe would be a small one inhabited by a single, simple observer. But what we actually observe is the very thing that we should least expect, a vast, spectacularly complex, highly ordered universe inhabited by billions of other observers. So even if the multiverse existed, which is a moot point, it wouldn't do anything to explain the fine-tuning. Given the implausibility of physical necessity or chance, the best explanation for why the universe is fine-tuned for life may very well be it was designed that way. A common-sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super-intellect monkeyed with physics and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. There is for me powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. The impression of design is overwhelming. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. So I don't know if you guys noticed, but the every person that they were using on there was an atheist. And so they were using atheists' own words to say that this universe had to be designed, right? And like I said, whenever you when you get down to it and you really dial into the com complexity of the universe, it's amazing how that how fine detailed that everything is, and how that it is impossible for us to. Uh, to exist or have life in this on this planet without there being a designer. <clears throat> so any thoughts or anything on that video? Of course there's things on there that we would probably disagree with. I saw a couple of little things that I would disagree with that popped up. But but overall what they're trying what they're saying is is right that this universe has to have a designer. Right? Any thoughts or questions on that? Well, if you didn't believe in God, you probably would be pretty worried about those numbers changing. Oh, yeah. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. And that's part of why that I think that, that there's so many disaster movies today, you yeah. know, and why that's so, because that's something that's a serious threat. And, and people think that this world's going to be wiped out by, you know, an asteroid or the moon I, I watched a movie uh, whenever we was flying back from um, from Maine and it and, and the movie was about the moon getting too close to the earth and then things started I mean the whole world was gonna die you know everything everybody was gonna die so <laughs> so every every little detail though you know and and there's a lot of truth to that it's amazing how everything is placed just perfect just perfect. I love the illustration of, of how it went into the that clock and it went past the, the notches and then there was more notches and then more notches and it's like that's how precise that the, the universe and life is. It's down to the finest little little detail.
or we couldn't exist. Well, the, the really sad thing is, though, is the lack of teaching in this area. I went, um, I got a master's in elementary education with a minor in science. I was the only one that believed in creation. Wow. In the whole group. Yeah. Wow. And that was in the um, early 70s. Yeah. So. It's probably worse now. Yeah. It's, and that's truly sad. It's, it's extremely sad. Okay. It is. This made me think of uh, Colossians 1, 16 and 17, where it says, For by him, and that's talking about Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and this is the important part, and in him all things hold together. So that's our peace and comfort is we don't have to worry about those numbers changing. I mean, yeah. they'll stay where they are as long as he wants them to. That's right. And that's all we need to know. That's right. That's right. That's part of the peace of being a Christian is knowing that God holds everything in his hand and he's controlling everything perfectly. And we don't have to worry about any of that, right? And it's it's sad when when people we see are so worried about these things. Yeah. What if the poles shifted, the magnetic, mm -hmm. you know, poles shifted or whatever? And I mean, they can see that it's like a, a domino effect or a house of cards. Yeah. Except for the nature of Christ. Right. You know. When you watch uh, videos like that, it, it just reminds you how great God is. I mean, we cannot begin to comprehend God. I know. I mean, you know, we talk about, well, did he have a beginning? We can't comprehend that. Well, we can't co even comprehend something like we see in the, in the videos. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, um, trying to know God is, is the important part is his love and all, of, all the attributes. Um, because the rest mm -hmm. of it is beyond our ability to, I mean, we know, you know, we get a, a picture of it, but to know will never be ours. Yeah. I like the ludicrousy, the ludicrousy of of, of the how they try to explain away with with, with the the universe multiverse generator. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I thought that was just so ridiculous. And who fine tunes that thing? Yeah, but this is a legitimate <laughs> like scientific argument. <laughs> this this is some some scientists come up with this and people believed him. I mean enough to where that they put it on that it's a it's a you know I mean you're just going really you're gonna go that far to try to get away from. Believing. believing in God. <laughs> yeah. They seemed to be wise. They became fools. And it, it is so sad because all God wants is our good. I mean, it's like parents, you know, some parents tell the, a, a wayward child, all they want is your good. Can't you see that? Yeah. And that's what God says to, you know, to his creation. All I want is your good. <laughs> I don't require anything major from you. I That's right. If you just let me. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it's amazing the the extent that they try to go, that people try to go to, and then it's amazing too how that whenever people that are more logical and more reasonable, they say, well, maybe there is a God, and then they start creating a God that they like. Right. 
you know, they create a, a God that suits them. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the other thing that's really sad, a lot of people think that believers are not intelligent, that they cannot use science, they cannot study and, and know all these things. They think that we're ignorant, and all we believe is the Bible, and we just don't know anything. Right. And that, that is the way the world sees mm -hmm. Christians. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's so cool when you, if you go to, to the Answers in Genesis website or, or the Creation Museum, you know, with Ken Ham, because he's got Christian Christians that are scientists yeah. that work, you know, for that organization, and they're constantly putting out just amazing articles that... Um, that show the brilliance of God's creation and how um, that it would be impossible for anything to have evolved from a single-celled organism or whatever, you know, that that's an impossibility. And they have scientists on staff that are constantly putting these things out. But the world, they just don't want to, they don't even want to know that because they, you know, they're comfortable in their sin. And that's the bottom line. Don't tell me anything that's going to make me give up what I love. That's right. And I love darkness. That's right. That's right. That's what it all boils down to. That's the only reason that they're coming up with these with these type of things, is because they love their sin. And the, the, the great amount of effort that they go to to try to convince themselves that there is no God, or to try to convince our children at school... <laughs> that there is no God, which is amazing that, that that's even allowed, that that's what's taught today. I mean, that's what was taught when I was a kid in school, you know? I mean, it's, but the extent that they go to, and then when you drill down into the, the facts of it, it's, it's, a, it's an impossibility. It's, it's something that is not scientific at all. And it's amazing that it's made it into textbooks and is being taught as being fact in schools and in colleges. It's crazy. And the organizations, just like when I lived in Salida, there's a group, they would meet on Sunday mornings. Okay. They want, it, it's really their own church is what it is. It's their own belief system and they want it to be their own church. So. <laughs> well, it requires faith. Oh, it, it does. does. More faith than we need to believe in God, to me. It really does. Yeah. Everybody here knows this, but Romans 1 talks about this whole process. Mm -hmm. Spells it out. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. We're out of time. I was wanting to jump into the to at least this last one, the moral argument. Go ahead. <laughs> we'll let you. You want to you know what to do it real quick? Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll go over it real quick. The moral argument. This is dealing with conscience. People have a conscience which must originate from a lawgiver. So this is the, the argument. So in other words, because there is a conscience, then there has to be someone out there that has given law, right? Or we wouldn't have a conscience. It says that there are different degrees to perfections among beings. For some are more nearly perfect than others. But things cannot be more or less perfect unless there is a holy, perfect being. 
Whatever is perfect is the cause of the less than perfect. The higher is the cause of the lower. Therefore, there must be a perfect being, which is the cause of perfections of the less than perfect beings. This we call God. So in other words, what, he, what this argument is, is that there has to be something out there that gives us this conscience that we see uh, everywhere. And what's amazing is, you know, if you go to any place in the world, the law of God is written on their hearts. It's written on the hearts of man, no matter where they're at. And uh, we all know that everything that it says in the Ten Commandments is something that um, that is inside of us, that haunts us. And so there's a since that is in us and it's evident that there that we have conscience, then there has to be a perfect being that has created this conscience in us. There has to be someone that is perfect. Um, and that's how that we can even know what's right and what is wrong. It's, it's the same thing when we look at love. The only way that we can understand love is because there is a, one that exists that is perfect in love. The only way that we can understand mercy is because there is one who exists that is perfect in mercy. And so we can go through the whole thing, and that's basically what this moral argument is, is saying that there has to be something perfect out there, um, or we wouldn't even have anything to measure anything by at all. And life would just be chaos. Right. All, we would live in chaos. Every man for his own without yeah. conscience at all. Yeah. We would be like the animal world. And it's just you do what you do for survival. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. We'll watch this video. It's this one right here. And uh, and we'll get into the next one next week. But this is a pretty a pretty good one, I think. Can you be good without God? Let's find out. Absolutely astounding. There you have it. Undeniable proof that you can be good without believing in God. But wait. The question isn't, can you be good without believing in God? The question is, can you be good without God? See, here's the problem. If there is no God, what basis remains for objective good or bad, right or wrong? If God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. And here's why. Without some objective reference point, we have no way of saying that something is really up or down. God's nature provides an objective reference point for moral values. It's the standard against which all actions and decisions are measured. But if there's no God, there's no objective reference point. All we're left with is one person's viewpoint, which is no more valid than anyone else's viewpoint. This kind of morality is subjective, not objective. It's like a preference for strawberry ice cream. The preference is in the subject, not the object. So it doesn't apply to other people. In the same way, subjective morality applies only to the subject. It's not valid or binding for anyone else. So, in a world without God, there can be no evil and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. God has expressed his moral nature to us as commands. These provide the basis for moral duties. For example, 
God's essential attribute of love is expressed in his command to love your neighbor as yourself. This command provides a foundation upon which we can affirm the objective goodness of generosity, self-sacrifice, and equality. And we can condemn as objectively evil, greed, abuse, and discrimination. This raises a problem. Is something good just because God wills it, or does God will something because it is good? The answer is neither one. Rather, God wills something because He is good. God is the standard of moral values, just as a live musical performance is the standard for a high-fidelity recording. We found your love. The more a recording sounds like the original, the better it is. Likewise, the more closely a moral action conforms to God's nature, the better it is. But if atheism is true, there is no ultimate standard. So there can be no moral obligations or duties. Who or what lays such duties upon us? No one. Remember, for the atheist, humans are just accidents of nature, highly evolved animals. But animals have no moral obligations to one another. When a cat kills a mouse, it hasn't done anything morally wrong. The cat's just being a cat. If God doesn't exist, we should view human behavior in the same way. No action should be considered morally right or wrong. But the problem is, good and bad, right and wrong, do exist. Just as our sense experience convinces us that the physical world is objectively real, oh. our moral experience convinces us that moral values are objectively real. Every time you say, hey, that's not fair, that's wrong, that's an injustice, you affirm your belief in the existence of objective morals. We're well aware that child abuse, racial discrimination, and terrorism are wrong for everybody, always. Is this just a personal preference or opinion? No. The man who says that it is morally acceptable to rape little children is just as mistaken as the man who says two plus two equals five. What all this amounts to, then, is a moral argument for the existence of God. If God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. But objective moral values and duties do exist. Therefore, God exists. Atheism fails to provide a foundation for the moral reality every one of us experiences every day. In fact, the existence of objective morality points us directly to the existence of God. <laughs> What'd you guys think about that? That's good. <laughs> Even common sense, you know, tells people that you have to have guidelines. The thing they don't think about is where, where do people get the guidelines as what is good and what is bad? If, it, if it's just because it makes sense to do this, that's one thing. It's going to be really lacking. And, uh, and again, it's back to personal opinion. I mean, that's why we have such moral decayed nations that we hear about through the years that, yeah. that enslave and kill and do whatever, you know. Yeah. I remember a news maybe, maybe 10 years ago now some major university, there was a physician that would, had sexually assaulted 
many of the uh, participants of a particular sport there. Mm. And how that came out and the, the university was so indignant, you know, how this is not our values, how could anyone do that, you know, but when you step back, the whole institution is teaching that there is no objective right or wrong, and so, yeah. but they want it both ways because they, deep down they know there is a wrong, Yeah, you know. Couples that I worked with who were not believers, you know, somebody had been unfaithful. And I wanted to say, well then, how do you determine, you don't believe in God, what makes you say that that's wrong? Isn't that just your opinion? You know? Yeah. So it's weird uh, in the unbelieving world where that idea comes from and they're not even aware of it. Yeah. People don't dig that deep. No, they just know they're hurt or offended. Yeah. And yeah. They as they long as they can live their life and things yeah. go along the way they want, they don't dig deep enough to find out, you know, what should yeah. happen in to their neighbor or the neighborhood or their city or the world. Well, they want you society know? to work. Yeah, without you know, having to do anything. Mm -hmm. Without submitting to God. Yeah. yeah. And it's more and more as, you know, we pass laws that change the good and bad, mm -hmm. society is we, going to just keep going down. Yeah. Right. And this is man's opinion of interpreting those laws. Exactly. Yeah, because the Bible talks about how you can sear your conscience, right? Yeah. Yeah. All governments doing that. <laughs> yeah. But no, th those are good points. I mean, <clears throat> in nature, there is no such thing as being faithful to your spouse, right? right? There's not, you know, if you, you try that with, um, <laughs> in nature, with, with any kind of animal whatsoever, and that just doesn't exist. But with us, we know that that's wrong. But there, even, th even in nature, there are some. I, and you get ones that, it, that they just make with whoever. Yeah. Then you have, Monogamous. there are those that they stay yeah. with the same mate all their life. Like the dove. Their children. Mm -hmm. They call it children. They're yeah. all sprinkly. They don't call them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, even nature is trying to show the lesson. Mm -hmm. Here's the, the bad way. Here's the good way. Make a choice. God yeah. is, you know, that's why it says in Scripture, doesn't even nature itself teach you. Yeah. Yeah. So, people are without excuse. Yeah. That's right. well, I always tell people, I'm like, okay, so if we're, if you evolve, that means you're getting better, right? Like, you should be mm -hmm. improving. Yeah. And I'm like, so how come basically most of nature, and definitely humans, they can't survive on their own by themselves for years, like multiple years for a baby. If you just left a baby all by itself, it's not going to survive. So how in the very beginning did the infant, you know, live and take care of itself it couldn't it's impossible but now we've gone backwards because now we can't take care of ourselves for years like you know a, a, a child left to itself would never survive even you know two three years old they're not going to survive unless somebody's helping them and so it's like that doesn't even make sense <laughs> the way you want to say that uh, we just poofed you know we just poofed into existence but now you know even infant Babies, you know, kittens and bears and whatever, they're helpless when they're born. Totally helpless. So that's not evolving. That's like going backwards. So 
it doesn't even make sense. It's like, that's ridiculous. And that's what I asked my, my coworker because I'm like, well, how did we start? Well, you know, first you, there were a fish or something. I'm like, seriously? And, <laughs> and I said, and they just got the legs and walked up onto the ground. I mean, really? Okay, okay. Seriously? <laughs> it's like, no, that is not what happened. How many did piles of dead birds until they've evolved the yeah. 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 It's just so <laughs> Yeah. And then yeah. where did the fish come from? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. It's, it's crazy. It do, it's it just is. ridiculous. It is. It is. Well, very good. Very good. We are beyond past time. we got one more left, and that's the ontological argument. We'll say that for next week. And we'll finish this up, the Seity of God. We should have one more lesson, and then we'll be moving on into the sovereignty of God, which will be really fun. Oh, we oh that's right. It's a holiday, right? Yeah. 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 Man, darn it. Just skip another week. <laughs> yeah, skip another week. Okay. So in two weeks, then. We'll two weeks. More time to that's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, um, Steve, would you dismiss us? Father, it's such a comfort for us to know that uh, you are self-existent, that you don't depend.